Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. The pandemic took a big toll on movie theaters nationwide, and the Bay Area continues to see closures of beloved theaters, really too many to even list here. But there have also been success stories, local cinemas that have found ways of bringing people in the door so they can keep the projectors running. We'll check in with some of the people running those spots about the role local theaters play in our communities, how their audiences have changed since the pandemic, and the new things theaters are doing to bring people in. That's all coming up next, after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Two independent local movie theaters shaped the person that I became. I worked at one spot, this is up in Vancouver, Washington, where we never had big crowds and we usually showed stuff like Muppets in Space. But you could also see, on some days, Vertigo or Citizen Kane on that huge screen as it was meant to be seen. The other theater that shaped me was Cinema 21, kind of a classic art house place, maybe mostly like the Roxy, I don't know. And it's where I learned to love indie films. Maybe it's even where I learned to be an adult with my own tastes and interests that didn't align exactly with whatever my friends were watching. These places have never been big money makers, but they've played a crucial role in connecting people to the art of the movies, like not just the stars and franchises, and also to the community of people who also appreciate the art. So it's tough to see independent theaters struggling in this post-COVID world, like so many other small businesses, and I'm delighted that we have a crew here of people who are making it work. Joining us here in Studio B, we've got Adam Bergeron, co-owner of Cinema SF, which operates the Balboa, the Vogue, and the Four Star Theaters in San Francisco. Welcome, Adam. Thank you, Alexis. Happy to be here. We've got Lex Sloan, executive director of the Roxy Theater in San Francisco. Welcome. Thanks. And we've got Jay Moses Caesar, general manager of the new Parkway in Oakland. Howdy. 
We've also got Ellie Mednick, Executive Director of the Lark Theater in Larkspur. Welcome, Ellie. Thank you. Nice to be here. Yeah. We've got good coverage of the Bay Area independent <laughs> movie scene here. Um, Adam, let's start with you. You operate a bunch of theaters, so you kind of have a, a broader view here. What's it been like coming out of the pandemic? And does it feel like we're actually coming out of the pandemic now? I would say as of two weeks ago, it starts to feel like the first run movies are on the way back. But but from the end of the pan, well, the, the you know qu- right. air quotes end of the pandemic until now, it's been hit and miss. Um, it's it's been tricky. It's been tricky. And we opened a theater coming out of the pandemic, which was sort of extra tricky. <laughs> and is it just that like there's not as much foot traffic? There's just like no, people just aren't coming in the doors. Is that well? You there's a certain segment of people who have decided that. You know, during the pandemic, we all decided what was important to us. And there's a certain segment that decided going to the movies is important to me and I'm going to keep doing this. And this is where I'm going to sort of take my little risk. Mm. But then there's a segment that thought, well, I got Hulu and I've got everything else. And I, maybe that one's not what I'm doing. Yeah. And so there, it's a little bit divided. So you, you, you have less of a broad audience than you used to have, but maybe more of a, 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 a committed, committed audience. Yes. Yeah. Ellie, how's it feel where you stand uh, up in the North Bay? Well, actually, it's pretty good. We did quite a pivot during COVID. We closed for two years and used that opportunity to refurbish our theater back to its 1940s Art Deco glory. Mm -hmm. Um, We opened a drive-in during that time. We saw that nobody else was doing that around here. So very fortunately, we had uh, a gift from the village of Corte Madeira to use their overflow parking lot, newly made. And we opened a very lively drive-in. So that helped us get over the hump. And uh, when we came back, people wanted to see the new theater. At the Lark, we have a very broad programming. We are not just movies, much more than movies, as we always say. <laughs> we have uh, added, uh, we've had as staples for quite a long time, live from the Madden HD, uh, the National Theater Live from London. We have a satellite, so we've been able to bring these in. Before the Ukrainian war, we brought in the Bolshoi Ballet live from Russia. Mm. But those are all still coming in, and we've added exhibition on screen. A whole variety of what we're calling world-class arts. Maronites have been used to very high-level entertainment, running to the city for their entertainment. We saw that writing on the wall very early on and decided that we would need to do more than movies to make this theater live, yeah. and it has worked. People are very grateful to not have to run to the city, have a, a nice theater nearby they can walk to or drive easily to, comfortable seats and world-class entertainment, yeah. as well as movies. Um, Lex, I understand that a lot of people in who are in this business have seen kind of a, a shift in the demographics of who's coming to the movies. What has that shift looked like at the Roxy? Yeah, well, we are so so fortunate to have a really diverse audience that's really representative of the city and of the Bay Area. What's been exciting uh, since we reopened is seeing a younger audience come out yeah. and a younger demographic. Maybe this is their first time to a classic art house cinema, their first time watching classic film on the big screen in 35 millimeter, mm-hmm. uh, having an experience that's truly like no other. And do you then end up catering to that population? Do you say like, all right, we're going to show more younger stuff? Or do you try and say, oh, no, we got to get back like this, the, the breadth of our audience, you know, of all ages? 
Yeah, that's a great question. I would say a little of both. Um, I think part of it is exposing the younger audience to films that are classic or part of the repertory cinema that uh, we're showing Satan Tango, which is an eight hour epic. <laughs> um, and, you know, having younger folks come see a film like that on the big screen the way it was meant to be seen is is really special. Um, and then we tried doing new things as well. We have a local band called Sleep Bomb, and they're going to be doing a live score of Night of the Living Dead. So it's like, how can we do uh, classic things that our audiences have come to know and love, and then also try new things and see what works and sometimes what doesn't. Moses, how about you? Have you seen changes in audiences at the new Parkway since the, you know, in this trans pandemic, like you were saying, and air quote, end of the pandemic? I think similar to what uh, Lex said about the Roxy, uh, our audience has been younger than uh, than it was before the pandemic. Um, not necessarily dramatically so, and it really depends on which movies in-house. Um, we just finished a pretty successful run with uh, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, and that certainly brought in a younger audience and a lot of uh, families with kids the like. Um, so it varies based on the movie. It varies based on... Um, I think what the COVID numbers are looking like, it varies based on the weather. Uh, So lots of different variables, and I think it will build back up. But uh, yeah, slightly younger than before. Yeah. We're talking about movie theaters in the Bay Area and what's working to bring people back to the movies coming out of the pandemic. Joining us, we've got Moses Caesar of the New Parkway in Oakland, Lex Sloan with The Roxy, Adam Bergeron with Cinema SF, and Ellie Mednick from the Lark Theater in Larkspur. Okay, here's the thing. Are you someone out there who loves that old theater where you live, but you find yourself just like not going back as much as you used to? We'd love to know why, what you think would bring you back, what's going on, is it streaming, is it you've just not into the actual movies that are coming out right now? Give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Eight, six. The email is forum at kqed.org. You can find us Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or Threads. That's the new thing from Meta. We're KQED Forum in all those places. Um, Adam, let's talk a little bit about the things that are working for you. Um, movie drag show combos, I've heard. We do them. Yeah. So we work quite a bit with a group called uh, Media Meltdown, mm-hmm. and they are an incredible a drag crew and it, so unexpected the the very first time that they asked me to work together uh, I and they wanted to choose their own movie they chose Mandy and I don't know if you're familiar with Mandy but it's a it's a revenge horror movie and I just didn't see that coming and it was incredible it was kind of a blood splattered beautiful drag show but it's it's a uh, they are definitely are very left of center and it's amazing, and it's wonderful to work with people that are that creative. Yeah. I mean, it does seem like that the incorporation of the live event alongside the movie theater. Lex, talk to us about, you do a lot of Q&As with directors, uh, particularly local ones, yeah? Absolutely. Uh, definitely, we believe that the movies don't end when the credits end. And so the idea of how can we curate a post-screening discussion with filmmakers, experts, educators, um, really, it continues the, the film and the conversation to something that we believe is more impactful. Yeah. 
And what about other stuff? Stuff that might be like at a more oblique angle, you know, where it's not going to be just about the movie, but it's a sort of a, you know, something that people who went to the movie might be interested in. Oh, that's a, yeah, that's a great question. I think, you know, anytime that we can form community partnerships and work with other different local organizations, uh, we work with a gallery called Spoke Art, and they make these custom design movie posters. So you come to the movie, then you walk out with this custom design movie poster by a really amazing artist. And it's like, you know, how can we create not just a movie going experience, but a real memory? Yeah. I mean, the new Parkway, I feel like, in the East Bay, this is sort of your your specialty, right? I mean, this, it's like community-oriented events that may or may not have a movie attached mm-hmm. to them, yeah? We happen to be a movie theater, but I think that first and foremost, we're a community center. And so I think most of what we try to do is about bringing people together, connecting them, uh, having folks uh, engage with one another. And so we certainly have the in-theater stuff. We have the post-film Q&As. But we also have just so many activities that don't even involve the screen. You know, we have mezzanine activities that are free and open to the public six days a week. Um, we have quirky things in the theater. We have uh, upcoming uh, shortly next week, we have um, a patron curated event called So Bad It's Good. Uh, where Natalyn, uh, uh, our curator, picks a really bad movie that's not super offensive but bad in many other ways. Um, and folks come out and they do little prizes and fun little things. So ways to get people engaged, ways to have people have experiences that they're not going to have in their own living room, I think is all bonus. I love the idea that you're focusing not on bad opinions, but actually just poor craftsmanship. You know, <laughs> that's nice. <laughs> just what we just what we want from our movies. We're like, it's just not well made. The ideas are fine. The politics are good, but it's just bad. Um, we are talking about movie theaters in the Bay Area, what's working to bring people back to the movies coming out of the pandemic. Joined by Ellie Mednick from the Lark Theater in Larkspur, Moses Caesar of the New Parkway in Oakland, Lex Sloan with the Roxy Theater in San Francisco, and Adam Bergeron with Cinema SF, which operates a variety of theaters in the city. Going to be getting to your calls about what would bring you back to the movie theater. Is there a local movie theater not represented here that's doing something cool or that you love and you want to share love for that theater? You can give us a call or you can send a comment to us at forum at kqed.org or Twitter, threads, Instagram, or KQED Forum there. We'll be back with more on local independent theaters when we come back. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about movie theaters in the Bay Area, particularly those local places that are really uh, part of the bedrock of the community. We're joined by J. Moses Caesar of the New Parkway in Oakland, Lex Sloan with The Roxy, Adam Bergeron with Cinema SF, and Ellie Mednick from the Lark Theater in Larkspur. Let's bring in our first caller. Um, let's bring in Kathy in Oakland. Welcome. Hi, thanks. First, I just want to say a shout out to the Parkway. I love it. It's it's so community, like you're in somebody's living room watching with your friends. But the reason I called is because I had an experience with growing up watching every Thanksgiving The Wizard of Oz on TV. And then I grew up in Palo Alto and the Stanford Theater down there that does great double bill oldies but they were showing the wizard of oz and i so i brought my nieces and nephews and when i saw munchkin land on the big screen <laughs> i flipped out to see, to see the big screen is an experience that is so different than looking on your computer or your television or whatever you're looking at yeah it just it, it was so impactful to me, yeah. more so than the kids I brought, I think. You know, Kathy, thank you for that uh, comment. I wanted to bring this to you. I mean, there. how do you think about using that big screen? I mean, you were talking earlier about some of the special arts programming that you bring in that kind of makes use of just the size of the screen. But how about for movies? Like, do you think about that in the in the programming that you're doing? Well, you know, it's interesting because... As people started to come back, the comment I heard over and over again as they walked down the aisle is, oh, my God, the screen's so big. It was really (laughs) shocking to them. I think they'd forgotten. And the sound is so big. People were kind of looking around for surround sound. Where was it coming from? So it was uh, a wonderful thing. We've been able to incorporate the screen in live music. We've done live classical music. We've done a jazz festival. And for the first time this year, we actually put on a legitimate play, Love Letters, and found we have quite an audience for that. So the Lark Theater has really dedicated itself to two things, very much what Moses said, very much about community. We have really encouraged people to feel at home at the theater, a very warm staff headed by Matt Malloy, and a wonderful 30 volunteers welcome people in from the minute they come up to the box office, walk through the concessions and down that aisle to see the experience it's all about the experience and the warmth they see there. But yeah. we're using that screen as backdrop for theater yeah. now, and uh, as well as music. Uh, as I said, anything, everything from jazz. We did a collaboration with SF Jazz last week, a few weeks ago, and uh, live theater. We had another musical review coming up, Words and Music, on August 17th with the music of um, Porter Gershwin and Rogers. And we are planning, actually, it's another small Broadway review. We keep using the screen in a variety of yeah. ways. But there is nothing like walking into that theater and seeing that big screen with big sound. <laughs> yeah. It's fabulous. 
You know, Moses, talking about the stuff that goes on the screen, I understand the new Parkway has started to try out some first-run movies, right? So that's like, explain for me a little bit what the difference between a first-run movie is and sort of what otherwise you would be showing. So first-run are, there's different definitions, but it's the movies right when they come out. And um, for small theaters... Um, Well, for a long time, we didn't show those, and there was a variety of reasons, but um, it's... uh, Is it just kind of risky for you all? It's a very high risk-reward because you're putting that content on your screen for at least two weeks, and you're running it clean, which means that it is the only show on one screen for a matter of two, maybe three weeks, depending on who the distributor is. So if you hit, you can do really well, and if you miss, you're doing really poorly um, and there's almost no way to get that content off your screen if uh, you know once you commit to it and you're often committing to it before the reviews come out and uh, before there's a, a ton of buzz to it so we've had some that have done great and we've had some that have not done so well we're really looking forward to Barbie uh, next uh, next mm-hmm. Thursday and that's going to do really well but we've had some that certainly didn't do as well as expected Adam I'm he- I-, I saw a nod there on Barbie well, the Barbenheimer, I don't know if you've heard about Barbenheimer, but but Oppenheimer and Barbie, people are making their own double features out of it. And before that was known to be a thing, we booked them both already anyway. And so now uh, I think we're, we're <laughs> the reaping, Barbenheimer. We're going to reap the Barbenheimer rewards, I'm hoping. Wow, that's so funny. Yeah, that is, I think that's also showing at the Elmwood too, may, may, at least the Oppen, Oppenheimer part of the Barbenheimer. Um, let's bring in uh, Wayne in Berkeley. Welcome, Wayne. Hey, how you guys doing? Hey, Thank doing you for well? taking my call. Uh, I'll start by asking a quick question. The best movie you've seen in your lifetime did you see it at the theater, or did you see it on television? Mm. Now I, think about that. Okay, that said, I believe that, believe it or not, man, the move we want to come back to the theaters. We want to come back so bad because that's our experience. Mm. Bring those good movies. The problem, I think, is the, the, there's, right now there's not really a, good, a lot of good movies going on right now. But, I, again, Oppenheimer might be a good thing coming up this weekend, and Barbie, that's showing you. We want to come back. We want to come back. But I will uh, leave by saying this. However, we do not want the television things at the theaters. Like when we go to the theater, we see trailers for television things coming up. We don't like that. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, I'm I'm personally insulted you're showing me television ads. (laughs) Yeah, because that's the the whole point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wayne, thank you so much for that. I I, I appreciate your, uh, your, your point that like, you know, your favorite movies ever, you're going to probably have seen them in in the theater. Um, Lex, I'm going to come to you in a second on the sort of indie movie side and what the restart for that has been like. But to address the kind of what happened to Hollywood during the pandemic is like very complicated. Adam, are you seeing those movies, the movies that are going to bring people out that are kind of Hollywood movies, are they back back? It, it feels like as of right now, they are. It, it, it on a, On an in an art house level, it feels like Asteroid City, the newest Wes Anderson movie, really is doing just as well as movies did before the pandemic. And again, Barbie and Oppenheimer are looking really hopeful. Uh, but this is the first sign we've seen, and I think Hollywood has been uh, hesitant to to you know put in their A game and put 
put all their backing behind movies because they stand to lose in the same way they stand to lose a lot if it doesn't work. So you feel like they were literally just like releasing kind of the the JV team movies and then not actually putting the marketing muscle behind it either because that's part of the big, you know, financial problem. Seemingly testing the waters to see to see who was coming back and who the demographics were that were coming back. Yeah. What about you, Lex? On on the independent movie side, it feels like a little bit different. On the other hand, it was just actually hard to do stuff because of all the regulations that people had in terms of making movies, right? Yeah. Uh, you you know, the Roxy is very different in the sense that you're not going to see the Marvel films. You're not going to see the big blockbuster titles on our screen. And that's something uh, that, while sometimes poses challenges, is also something we're really proud of. Um, finding films that are hard to see, things that you're not going to see at any other screen anywhere in the Bay Area. Um, we recently opened a beautiful, touching story based out of Oakland called Earth Mama. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're able to have a really compelling Q&A for that. And we're the only screen showing that. And so for us, um, finding films that are off, you know, made by often historically excluded filmmakers is really important to make sure uh, those stories are also amplified on the big screen. Hopefully we're going to have a show with folks from Earth Mama at some point here in the next uh, little bit. Um, let's bring in uh, Amila in Garberville. Welcome. Hi. Yeah, thanks for taking my call. Yeah, I am I live up in Humboldt County. Uh, we've got quite a few small movie theaters that have closed, and they're They've been the heart of each little town up there, mm. and we're a few of us have been thinking that we would like to try to find some way to get them back open, or at least the one in Garberville back open. And I'm wondering if there's a foundation, or you can steer us in any direction that would help us maybe, you know, find some benefactor that would want to restore a beautiful movie theater. Yeah. What a what a good question. I mean, we have some interesting people to talk about this year. I mean, J. Moses Caesar of the New Parkway. I mean, wasn't this kind of the situation that you in, encountered w- way back when, when you guys were putting together this investor model? Talk to us a little bit about that. Sure. I mean, there we had had a beloved theater, the Parkway Theater, that um, closed, and it seemingly closed for no good financial reason. And so I think there was a lot of energy behind it. And um I've been to your I've been to your theater up in Garberville. A friend of mine had a uh, had a place up there that I would go stay at. So I've been to that theater on several occasions. Um, I think what's hard in small towns is do you have enough foot traffic to uh, support whatever the costs are? And obviously, the costs for staffing theaters are rising, and you know, food and other inputs are rising. So I wish I could give you the name of someone who was a benefactor who was super interested in uh, in in theaters. I think Michael Moore actually is. If you uh, had one, though, wouldn't you want to keep it to yourself? I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's a community and all. I, uh... <laughs> I, I do want to say I am optimistic about uh, the idea of possibly opening theaters. I know Adam has been involved in some of that and uh, may mention uh, some projects that he's working on. But um, I think that even though a lot of business is moving towards streaming and uh, at home, I think that there's a real place for movie theaters. And I think that um, places all all around Northern California um, should be somewhat optimistic about uh, the direction this is going. Yeah. 
Um, Lex, I want to come to you on this. One of our listeners uh, tweets, I love the Roxy and love Lex Sloan. Being a member of the Roxy is 100% worth it. Um, how does the Roxy's nonprofit status help it survive? So this is kind of a, for, for those who don't, well, why don't you explain about how the Roxy's actual nonprofit business model works? Yeah, let me stop blushing for a second first. <laughs> Thank you to whoever tweeted that. Um, and I was going to say that about starting the theater up in Garberville. I think having a nonprofit model is really why the Roxy is still here today. Um, you know, we are not in it, and I'm, I'm guessing no one in this uh, room is in it, to make money. Theater business is not something that you're going to get rich off of. I mean, it really is a community service and, and a community hub. And so being a nonprofit allows us to do those risk-taking films. It also allows us to get grants and thanks to the San Francisco Arts Commission and grants for the arts and the National Endowment for the Arts. Um, without those grants, it would be so much harder to put our programming on and pay our exorbitant operational expenses. Running a theater is really expensive. And also at the heart of um, the heart of being a nonprofit is having a amazing, thriving membership program. And we are so lucky for our members. Tell me about it. Yeah, they, <laughs> they helped get us through uh, being closed for 434 days. Honestly, people, even though we were closed, they renewed their memberships. They signed up for their memberships. Our members will see them four t- five times a week. And, you know, the nights they're not at the Roxy, they're one of the other theaters here. Um, and we know them by name. We know their tastes. Our amazing staff talks to them after the film. So, you know, having uh, a membership program, we actually have a shameless plug for our membership drive is happening right now. Mm-hmm. But with without our members, and we have almost a thousand members, um, I'm, I'm not sure the Roxy would still be here today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it changes what you can show, right? I mean, you can take on riskier propositions. You're not trying to just make it all back on ticket sales. Absolutely. And we have a member picks program, much like our staff program. We really want to hear what our community wants to see on screen. We are community-driven programming, and our members have some of the loudest voices in that. Let's bring in uh, Steve in Gualala, one of my favorite places. Welcome, Steve. Hi. Um, I was calling about the Arena Theater in Point Arena. It was purchased by a nonprofit um, about uh, maybe more than 20 years ago mm-hmm. and uh, restored. And we've been running a film club there in addition to first-run films. And the, the exciting thing about the film club is that we show films that they could see on the box, uh, Netflix or something, but it is a different experience to be in the movie theater with friends and strangers in the dark and having a great time simultaneously. It's a real communal experience. We showed Casablanca um, a few months ago, and I asked the audience afterwards, anybody not see this movie before? And there were about eight hands that went up. (laughs) And I was so excited, because the first time they encountered that movie was in a theater actual size on the big screen. So uh, here's the... Yeah, There's here's the theater local theater. The I love that one, too. I yeah. mean, the, the Point Arena one, I don't know if any of you have been to it. It's so amazing, too, because, you know, you pull up, and there's not a lot in Point Arena, you know? There's, like, a couple restaurants, and then there's, like, this incredible, beautiful theater just, like, sitting right there that you can tell it's, like, a, a hub of the of the community. That's amazing. Um, I wanted to talk about, yeah, we were talking about opening new theaters, I mean, like, you know, a lot of these theaters do have this historical component to lean on. They have all the people, all the memories that have accreted to it over the years. So how do you open a new one then 
Uh, what's what's different about doing that, Adam? Well, we just reopened the four star with the help of a of a, of the owner of the building, and uh, that it, it's it's a it's a big lift to to renovate. I mean, these buildings are old, and 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 they definitely provide their challenges in that way. But I, I think the neighborhoods and the communities are really helpful in those. Any time there's a neighborhood that has had a movie theater. If that theater is goes away or is in danger of going away, everyone and then everyone's ears go up, and and it, and you're ready to to step forward and help. Right. They kind of take it for granted till it's gone, and then yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then what, there's also a there's a wonderful group in in Lafayette that's renovating the Park Theater right now that will operate once it once it's it's completely renovated, and they are doing a fantastic job. And that community is really looking forward to that theater as well. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I was thinking is very tough, and uh, I wanted to uh, bring you into this, Ellie Mednick from the Lark Theater. Getting the word out is really different, right? I mean, there used to like the alt weeklies. I feel like with used to be how I found out what was playing at whatever uh, theaters. So how are you? How are you focusing on on that, Ellie? I mean, is it like your mailing list? Is it the Instagram? Like, what's kind of driving people into the theater now? You name it, we do it all. <laughs> you have to. Marketing in these days, particularly without the studio backup, we used to have the pre-publicity from these movies coming out. It would lift us along or a great article in the New York Times or something. But we find ourselves just facing a new film and we do whatever we can to find quotes to put on our website. We do mail. We do mailings. We don't do as much direct mail as we used to do. It's pretty much all internet and and social uh, places. But it's been really uh, a challenge. Um, the challenge facing us right now is getting good movies, as you were talking about before. We're also a nonprofit. Now we've got the Writers Guild strike, mm-hmm. and as of today, I believe SAG-AFTRA is going to strike at noon today. So uh, the shortage of films already is critical, and now we're going to be looking at what else is coming. Mm-hmm. But marketing is a, is a major number. I came out of a marketing background in the arts, and so I've, I think I've tried every trick in the book, <laughs> and, and it, you would just have to, and yeah. it's, it is working. But um, the choice of film to publicize and promote right now is, is very, very hard. Yeah. I heard the other theaters talking about going to more popular movies, um, but we we only tried it once. We did Top Gun Maverick one day <laughs> to see what an art theater presenting that. It worked very well. <laughs> it out. was no surprise. Were you actually but, a little disappointed? Were you sort of like, come on, we we thought you guys want, didn't want Top Gun here? No, I didn't. We didn't hear any disappointment. <laughs> we were hoping we'd say, come on, yeah. that's not what you usually show. But it, it did come out. So we've sort of put our toe in the water a little bit about mm-hmm. going a little more popular with movies. But as I mentioned before, we are so heavy now with the imported arts shows. For example, mm-hmm. our Vermeer show, we're showing 18 or 18th showing of the Vermeer art show. Uh, when we had uh, the Lehman trilogy from uh, London. We're going to have to we- pause right there, Ellie. Sorry to cut you off. We're talking about movie theaters in the Bay Area. We'll be back with more right after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. 
Set ten years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about independent movie theaters in the Bay Area. What's working to bring people back to this type of theater, these community institutions as we come out of the pandemic? We're joined by Adam Bergeron with Cinema SF, Ellie Mednick from the Lark Theater in Larkspur, J. Moses Caesar of the New Parkway, and Lex Sloan with the Roxy Theater in San Francisco. You heard earlier, audience favorite. <laughs> we um, have some uh, folks in the South Bay who want to mm-hmm. shout out um, some uh, a theater. Carol writes in to say, the Stanford Theater is a treasure for those of us living near Palo Alto, run as a nonprofit foundation. Ticket prices cover only about half the operating costs, so we get affordable tickets, popcorn, candy, and soda. The mighty Wurlitzer organ mm-hmm. is played before and after the 7.30 show. The movies, almost always a double feature, are generally from before 1960, mostly black and white and it really shows off the craft of classic filmmaking. I hope younger people will attend and keep this classic single-screen theater alive for many years to come. Um, Lexi, it seems like you know the Stanford Theater, yeah? Oh, love the Stanford, and yes, please go go support that theater. Um, they also show film on film, which is something that we're really passionate about at the Roxy. Uh, so we have two projectors from the late 1940s that show Carbon Arc, um, which instead of a bulb, uh, it's actually two carbon rods struck together that create this very bright white light, um, and that is the light that actually projects through the film at 24 frames a second. It is really such a special experience to watch movies on celluloid. It's something harder and harder to find and some an art and a craft that uh, the Roxy is really committed to. It's part of really the core yeah. of our mission um, is making sure that people can still see film on film. And uh, for someone that loves a, a record, an analog record, it's a very similar experience. Instead of uh, digital zeros and ones, you are watching way of light. Yeah. I, um, I remember learning how to thread film and just being like, wait, you just let a 17-year-old sit in here with this stuff? This seems like a bad idea, but you know, you can learn to do it. Um, let's bring in uh, Adam in San Francisco. Oh, hi. Um, yeah, I just wanted to call and say, uh, you know, we're, we're fairly new parents and have struggled to find uh, a way back into the theater uh, that, that agrees with, you know, bedtimes and schedules and, and, and ratings. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we had a really lovely time at the Balboa Theater for my daughter's seventh birthday. We actually rented it out and did a uh, Frozen sing-along. Uh, and I, I mean, highly recommended. Such a cool way to experience uh, a theater uh, with a room full of uh, screaming, singing uh, <laughs> seven-year-olds. Uh, super great. And like totally different from, you know, 
uh, a typical cinema experience. Really, really amazing. Yeah. I mean, if you need to uh, sing "Let It Go" for us, it's totally fine with me. That you can. You can oh, you know, I would. I don't want to hurt. <laughs> I don't want to. I want to break your uh, your system there. Um, well, thank you. I, I I know that rentals of these theaters is becoming sort of an increasing part of this. Is this part of your strategy, Adam, to like have that kind of experience for people? Absolutely. We rent out all the theaters uh, almost every weekend in the mornings for children's birthdays. It, it happens all the time and it's charming and wonderful. And the, the kids have a great time and the parents have a great time. And we love doing it. Yeah, that's so fun. I know the the new Parkway, I mean, I, I associate this with you guys in, in some way. And I feel like it's actually like a pretty big part of your business now. Yeah. Uh, you know, before the pandemic, we were probably about five to seven percent of our revenue came through rentals, and now we're up to roughly twenty five percent. Some of it may be that folks are making up for lost time during the during the pandemic, but we're getting waves and waves of rentals, and it's almost hard to keep up with them. It's one of the reasons we can't have Oppenheimer and Barbie on our screens at the same time because we have rentals and other things like that. So that's been great. Um, that's not accessible to everyone. Uh, we do these quirky kind of parties that are, some people refer to them as kind of pseudo rentals where we have what's called a party at the parkway where folks buy, uh, someone proposes a movie and buys the first 40 tickets and then we bake them a cake, sing them happy birthday and we invite the general public, public to come crash their party. Um, and so it's really sweet to have all the people that know they're going to a party and then all the other people that just think they're going to the Big Lebowski and they get free cake and sing happy birthday and all of that good stuff. Um, you also do something, I think they're coming back. Do you still do it? Baby Brigade? We do do Baby Brigade. Uh, it's the first show. On so what Thursdays. is that? What is that? Tell oh, me sure. what it is. Um, so it's a chance for parents with young children, generally, you know, babies to come out to the movies. Um, it's not a, it's not a movie for babies. Uh, it's a movie for people with babies. So we turn down the sound a little bit. We, uh, sometimes set up some changing stations, um, and you might have five or 10 or sometimes even 20 uh, babies in strollers coming out. And I think it's really nice for new parents to have a place they can go where if there's a little bit of crying or if they need to change their baby, there's a lot of people there who are um, allies of theirs, yeah. understand what's going on. I start sweating just thinking about one of my children crying <laughs> in a movie theater. Um, <laughs> uh, let's uh, bring in uh, Robert in San Francisco. Welcome, Robert. Uh, hello, Alexis. Um, back in 1968, my my father took the whole family to go see 2001: A Space Odyssey oh. uh, at the Golden Gate Theater in Cinerama. Um, it was uh, uh, it really made an impact on me. I had no idea what the movie was about at eight years old, but the imagery and the music um, was just uh, mind blowing. And it stuck with me my whole life. Um, now I'm a senior citizen on a fixed income. And going out to the movies, uh, particularly with family, can be challenging. It's an expensive proposition. And I love movie theaters. Uh, I've spent most of my life in movie theaters. But I find that, uh, I, you know, I'm kind of limited to uh, the big production numbers. You know, hmm. they something I can't really experience at the small screen in my house. Just last week, we, my son and I saw the new Indiana Jones movie. Uh -huh. 
which I thought was a fun adventure film. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why everyone was so down on it, but uh, that's kind of where I'm at. It, yeah. it's, it, it is, it's expensive to go out for someone like me, and I imagine others like me. Yeah. And I'm wondering if there's any... Um, you know, yeah, kind of something uh, that can help help you get in there. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point, Robert. Thank you so much for that. Um, love 2001 Space Odyssey. Um, watched it, um, on DVD with my dad, um, (laughs) at some point in my life. Um, what do you think about bringing seniors back? Um, do does anyone have like a special program that they that they run for older folks? Well, well, we do. (laughs) Oh, yeah, sure, go ahead, Ellie. Well, we do only because we have such a senior population here in Marin. Perhaps <laughs> our whole programming is is dedicated to seniors, but we do have uh, special pricing. We have special programming. Our Met Opera particularly addresses our seniors, and uh, it's it's a, just a wonderful experience. It has formed its own community on Saturday mornings when it's live from New York. Mm. So um, we also offer. Do people get dressed up, Ellie? They do. <laughs> oh, I love it. Yes. Yeah, so Saturday morning crowd, and we have free muffins, so everyone comes running for coffee and muffins. You know, sometimes the shows start at 9 a.m., live from New York. It's usually 10, but sometimes they're 9, and they're all out there. And so it's, we serve that population very well. I just wanted to make um, one reference back to the, the Baby Brigade. We did that at one time, but we've traded it off to the annual Dog Film Festival. So, <laughs> <laughs> <Still> Marin, <laughs> everybody has a dog. They all want to bring the dogs to the film, and they get dressed up. So they come in all beautifully groomed, and we have a photo op board for them to pose before they go in. The dogs pay their own fee. It's $5 for dogs <laughs> for an elf. And uh, it's, it has always been such a hit that we're now extending it to two, two days. We have a cat festival, too. Not oh, a my gosh. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm preparing my dog's bow tie as we speak. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, let's bring in uh, David in Berkeley. Welcome. Hi, good. Good morning. Um, First of all, I want to say thank you so much for putting the program together, because I think at the end of the day, there are a ton of great ideas that are being expressed and a ton of great stories being expressed. But the important thing is for the public to understand this is a very important issue about how to keep theaters going during the pandemic, after the pandemic, during worker, during the film writer strikes and so forth. There are a couple things that come to mind. I'm uh, involved with a nonprofit uh, organization called the Elmwood Theater Foundation, Mm -hmm. and we basically purchased the Elmwood Theater from United Artists back in 1988 after a fire that basically threatened the very existence of the theater. And the only way that we were able to keep it open was with a consolidated uh, group of people, which included the mayor, city council Mm -hmm. of Berkeley, people in the Office of Economic Development, a board of the Elmwood Theater Foundation, and then we put together a community lender group that actually loaned the money to refurbish the building after a business improvement district was put in by the city to fund the actual acquisition costs. So it, when, you know, we use the expression, takes a village, it took the entire city. Yes, seriously. That, make, I didn't realize I, I, make, that that's the story of the Elmwood. To make this happen. And at some point, you know, I, when I retire, I plan on writing a short story about this because it really is a wonderful story of the fact that collective focus can make things happen. And it's taken that for 35 years, right. and we're all grateful for the fact that now we have a, a really great tenant yeah, in Rialto Cinemas. 
and they're putting on some great things, including the national theater shows, which always sell out and have incredible content and camera work and so forth. I I wanted to just bring up something and I, for the audience, which is, you know, there's something about a movie theater, which is collective emotion. It's something you Mm -hmm. don't get when you're watching Netflix at home or you're watching Canopy at home, which is you're sitting in, in an, with an audience. And I remember a year ago, roughly when Top Gun Maverick came out and Tom Cruise made this point of saying, we're only going to show it in the theaters. Of course, it was AMC, but, you know, <laughs> he, he was only going to show it in theaters because he wanted to make sure that people came to the movies. And he was right about that because there are so many scenes in that movie where there is this collective gasp that takes place mm-hmm. at various points during the film. And sometimes there's collective crying and sometimes there's collective laughing. And I think that's what movies can bring to us when we see them on the yeah. screen is being in a social situation with other people and just kind of feeling that, which you can't feel if you're sitting at home. The other thing I wanted to oh, mention... Oh, David, I'm going to cut you up there only because we, we have to get to a couple couple other calls. But thank you so much for um, for those points. An amazing story about uh, the Elmore Theater. Ellen, uh, one of our listeners, writes in to say, please give a big shout out to Kai Boyd, mm-hmm. uh, owner of Rialto Cinemas, um, which, uh, as, uh, as David mentioned, is the operator of the theater in Elmwood, as well as Berkeley, Sebastopol, El Cerrito, supports many local nonprofits, as well as uh, independent films. I wanted to ask you uh, about this, Adam, that, that collective emotion experience. One of the things that I've been wondering, just watching my own children, is like, do people know how to watch a movie together now still? Oh, I think they do. Once you're there, it comes back yeah. like riding okay, a bike. Good. It's wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because, you know, they're, they're so, uh, you know, just watching kids like, my kids seem to even want to go to even smaller screen than a television. They want to watch <laughs> the thing on an iPad. And if the iPad's not available, well, watch it on a phone. I'm like, there's a TV right there. Like, <laughs> I never thought I'd have to coach my kids into wanting to watch something on television. And I have wondered if there's like, we're, we're raising like a generation of kids who don't necessarily feel the magic of the big screen in the way that that we did. I don't know. I think once they get to dating age, they they may they may <laughs> see it as a beautiful option. Maybe so. Maybe that is what it is. Um, one other. Uh, we've got. Uh, let's go to Theo in San Francisco. Hey Theo. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I just wanted to say a big thank you to the Roxy Theater specifically because. Um, I just love being able to go see sort of lower budget films, especially international ones. Um, it's amazing when you see uh, a film from overseas that's made with, you know, 500K or, or less. And it, you know, is world better than the multi-million dollar blockbusters coming out of Hollywood. And I specifically want to say thank you for showing Lynch Oz last month because I had an extremely close childhood friend who passed very suddenly and very tragically in May. And he was a huge cinephile. And his favorite director was David Lynch. There's actually a copy of Mulholland Drive in his casket that he was buried in. Wow. And he, his favorite movie is was The Wizard of Oz. And to see that movie so soon after he passed as a tribute to him was just such a beautiful thing. And I don't know if there's many other theaters in the country that showed it. So me and a friend who live in San Francisco who were close with him got to go and got to, you know, go through our grieving process at the Roxy a little bit, but it was really the magic of seeing it on the big screen in his honor. That was, it was such a beautiful thing. So I just want to say thank you for that. Wow. Uh, Thank you so much for sharing that story. Uh, It is truly a reminder of 
why we do what we do. And it's so, it can be such hard work keeping a hundred year theater going, um, especially in this day. And so stories like that, um, whether it's grieving or sometimes there's a marriage proposal because someone had their first date at the Roxy. <laughs> um, it is, you know, again, uh, I think like everyone said, we're so much more than just a, a movie theater. Yeah. Um, another shout out, Cheryl in San Francisco. Welcome. Hi there. Um, I'm a longtime resident of the Richmond District in San Francisco. And I just have to have a huge, huge shout out for the Balboa. And first of all, any any time that the Board of Supervisors or the Mayor's Office hears any hint that the Balboa is going down, shame on them for not supporting it in every way. We the, It is the lifeblood of our neighborhood. Without in the fog, if we don't see the B-A-L-B-O-A in neon colors, everyone has a group a heart attack. What's happening? The Balboa is not there. Um, I love that they've brought in some Saturday cartoons. I love that they have things like Godzilla Fest. Where would we be without Godzilla Fest? Um, they've had a special events like the 1906 Earthquake Annual uh, event was a wonderful uh, episode where we all wore 3D glasses and saw a wonderful uh, compilation of footage about the earthquake. We sang along. They had burlesque shows that were done during the er- actual earthquake. It's a myriad, and it's a heartbeat of our neighborhood. Wow. Without the Balboa Theater, our neighborhood does not exist. Man, and- Cheryl, what a pay into the theater. Thank you so much. Oh, my God, Cheryl. Thank you so much. That's amazing. That's amazing. I, I, deep, deep roots into San Francisco, too. The original owners were a part of Variety Children's Charity, and they actually, the Irving started the San Francisco Film Festival. And the Balboa is the last theater that he held that's opened, I believe. And anyone who's keeping it open, anybody who's, who doesn't help it stay open, yeah. shame on them. <laughs> hey, Cheryl, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Last uh, couple comments here. Steve writes, my first job in movie theaters was at age 10. I was a projectionist at 12 and worked in theaters all through college. Love the theater experience, wanting them to thrive. And Robert writes, watching a film in a theater is a precious experience that it would be a shame to lose. My wife and I both try to get to the cinema to not only be entertained, but to support those who are staking their investments on keeping the systems alive. Thank you all for your commitment. Couldn't have said it better myself, Robert. We have been talking about independent movie theaters in the Bay Area and what's working to bring people back coming out of the pandemic. Been joined by Adam Bergeron with Cinema SF. Thank you so much. Thank you. Lex Sloan with the Roxy Theater in San Francisco. It's been a pleasure. Jay Moses Caesar of the New Parkway in Oakland. Thanks for having me. And Ellie Mednick from the Lark Theater in Larkspur. It was lovely to be here. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Alexis Madrigal. This was so fun. Thank you all for your memories and your comments about the theaters. They really are part of the what makes our cities our cities. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for another hour of Forum Ahead with Mina Kim. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, 
the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.